0: On this episode of Unorthodox, God only knows what we might say. It could have bad words. So while we very much want you to listen, we want you to wait until a time when the children are out of the room and then listen. Thank you.
1: Come to me in my whitefish business. (laughs) You don't bring me the locks.
0: Hello, Jews and other faithless electors. This is Unorthodox, the weekly podcast from Tablet Magazine. I'm Mark Oppenheimer, joined as ever by Tablet Deputy Editor Stephanie Butnick.
2: Hi, have a quick correction. Apparently, you say my name first. Got a text from my mom and my sister And last then week. from listener
0: Lewis Stone, who said that you bump up against the ivory Glass ceiling. Uh, like, regularly. Regularly. I'm
2: way past it. Yeah. So anyway, joke still stands, yeah. but you know, I'll be more, more, I'll listen. Listen to that
1: so first who's, mention. Who's
0: left depraved and deprived? This guy. This guy. Tablet senior writer, Leah Leibovitz. I have an amazing story. Can I just say who our Jewish guest is this week? Our I Jewish think, I guest think is, you can. Our Jewish guest is the, Make le- it snappy, the legendary biblical scholar of Viva Gottlieb Zornberg, and our Gentile of the week is linguist John McWherter, who's awesome. And wait, Some people, when they hear linguist, they're so excited, and some people, they think snooze, and I can only tell you that both communities of people are going to be excited to hear John McWherter. Okay. Who wants to go? The, you both have stories.
2: I'll go first. My
0: story is just that I dropped Anna the other day. I like flung my three-year-old out of my arms on a busy New York street. But we'll, well get to that. My story
2: is that I I was holding my cousin's beautiful new baby, who's just, she's like three months old, in, in a cemetery.
0: In a cemetery? For
2: my great aunt's unveiling. And all of a sudden she started spitting up. And I just like kind of wasn't expecting it. And I like moved my arm. You're like, I, ah! No, it wasn't even that. I was just so shocked. That um, And so I had nothing to fix. I had nothing to, like, help creature. her with. So I kind of just, like, pu- pushed. I, she she fell back a little bit. And there was, there were, <gasps> and then I spent the next, um, like, 20 minutes being like, I'm so sorry. I'm so just sorry. Just to be clear.
0: So this is your cousin's baby. Yes. So what relation so, to you? Do you know?
2: She's my f- first cousin once removed. Boom. But I was given permission to be her aunt. Because there's no... There's no. um That's so Chinese. Ha- the baby has no an auntie
1: And yeah. so literally now your entire family is judging you.
2: Well, no, but it was really like, nice. Stephanie is not ready. Yeah, my sister. Oh. <laughs> Ste- um, the look on Stephanie's face just now. Yeah. It when was Leo really
0: was
1: Stephanie a young Stephanie's engaged because she needs a lot of training a with a, a baby. Training. No, but
2: I. But so the nice thing was so the, the unveiling was my great aunt Lily, who passed away last year. And this baby is named Liliana. So the baby coming to the unveiling was very beautiful. Did you say the baraka for the dropped
0: baby? No, no, she didn't drop. She just – she just –
2: she she moved a little bit. She
0: moved a little bit. Well, I'll just quickly – to make you feel better, I was walking down 108th toward where I had parked after my sister-in-law's Hanukkah party the other day. I was leaving the party. I w- walked into one of those fences that surrounds a young tree. You know, they'll p- the way they'll put a little metal, uh-huh. a little shin-high metal fence. And I didn't see it. And I was holding Anna, and I was kind of throwing her up in the air a little bit. And I tripped, put one leg out to brace the fall, and that, leg hit the far side of the little fence. <laughs> then I simply fell on my face, throwing Anna into the snowbank on, you know, on the curb. Uh, she was okay. That's comedy gold, by the way. It was comedy gold. It's very slapstick. She was okay. Poor Rebecca, who was... Walking right behind us, immediately her face crumpled into tears, and she said, "Is the baby okay?" And she was so mad at me for the rest of the time. I mean, she because well, believe- she's the one who takes it very personally. She's right? like, "You idiot!" Yeah, she's and like, you "Yell at any of the." Basically, children, right? it was like, "Let me." That you even keep us alive is a miracle. That's where we are with her. It's like <laughs> she's now at the point where she's judging my parenting and saying things like, I love "That's it. Rebecca would say things like, I- that's not going to give me self esteem in five years.' Oh my you god, know, like that's god. where it was. It was like nice a- parenting, dad." uh liel what happened to you well what, your, what's your, your st- stories
1: your stories are nice <laughs> uh so i just got back from israel like literally seconds ago i just got back from israel as uh, those with me in the studio could smell you've and, definitely been on an airplane and, for a long time and those uh fortunate enough to be in the <laughs> privacy and comfort of your own home cannot um and so i'm catching up with my friend who has a teenager uh, who goes to high school. I ask him, what's up? He say, yeah, you'll never believe what happened you know, to my kid the other day. So in school, there is a tradition that once a month, the seniors put out a themed recess, right? So they take a recess, and there's like a theme, and there are like activities. And so searching for a theme this week, the seniors thought, and then they said, you know, the Hebrew word for recess is hafsakah, and so we're going to have Hafsa KKK, in which the seniors, all dressed up in pointed white sheets. In white sheets? <laughs> and walked around school. Now, y- you're smiling. You think, that's the I'm fucked up. I'm not smiling.
2: My face is like frozen in fucked shock. Fucked up
1: part, but it isn't. Turns out that the guy, the <laughs> the moron whose idea it was, uh, was a, a high school senior with a, a particular misguided sense of history. Because he was an Ethiopian kid. <laughs> so this Ethiopian kid, now the head of the Hafsa KKK, right? Is looking around casting for someone to play the historic role of black the Americans, black Right. And he's like, well, wait, I'm black, so you know, it can't be the blacks. And so he looks around and is like, Oh, of course, it has to be the Yemenites. Oh <laughs> so he goes God. chases the little Yemenite kid with the rope I'm gonna lynch you and then the funniest part of this is that everyone in the school including the teachers thought it was hilarious it's like ah well, you I mean,
0: know when I was in Japan a number of years ago it was during the fa- the the the, the oh, Vogue the Nazi yeah the yeah. Vogue in the sort of Harajuku like fashion scene where we're They'd wear like little swastikas and they didn't know what they meant because they don't teach their own World War II history. And that was creepy because what you had was kids who didn't know their history, probably didn't know that their country had been the major ally of the Axis powers, making it into a fashion statement. Right. So that was horrible. Here's a bunch of Jewish kids who would be murdered if the KKK had their wish and, you know, came to power in any country saying, like, you know what we're going to do to the KKK, We're going to ma- turn you into, like, a Halloween costume. That That's kind of and
1: awesome. Then, and then but, they turned around and be like, you know who really actually sucks? <laughs> are the Yemenites. Well, that's a problematic
2: like,
0: That's a bad twist <laughs> at the end. But,
2: but I don't know. So, to me, it's like a little divorce from context. Like, do we know that they know... Like they must. I really?
0: I don't think that they know anything. I don't think that what they realize what do you realize... think they think that KKK is? Uh, just funny sheets. I think that's an. Au- I'll just say I think that's an awesome story. Could I change the subject entirely and say I just wanted to get this in that I had my regular monthly poker game the other night, and it occurred to me that there could be a book in like the culture of men's poker games. Should I write a book about this? Should I go around interviewing people about like what is your poker? Like
2: my poker games going like well, 10, I'm, 11 years. Like men. This idea that it's like a male-only space. Yeah, but it's like my – We
0: need more of those th- but, in the world right now. And my poker game is like really like <laughs> sensitive, thoughtful, feminist man- – like we're not telling all sorts of misogynist jokes and like beating our chest. So you're and,
2: like reappropriating the poker circle. not even
0: reappropriate. We're just – poker is the occasion for us to get together and hang out. But it occurs – like the poet Robert Pinsky has had a poker game going for 30 or 40 years that he talks about. You know, and it's like – But there's... that's a metaphysical poker no, game. No, there's actually – well – I don't know if there's actual people around the table. You no, know it's them, or just steak, the ghosts of old poets. Nothing. <laughs> uh, but I do want to say to my my male unorthodox team, if you have poker stories, send them to send them to me. Send them to Moppenheimer at tabletmag.com. They'll just come to me, and I will I will call them. All right. Um, hey. While we're talking about writing to us, thank you to all of you who sent in your phone numbers for our game of Jewish geography. We're 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 formulating what that game is going to look like. But if anyone else wants to play, send your phone number along to unorthodox at tabletmag.com While you're at it, let us know if you want the newsletter. If you're not getting it, you should let us know if you want to subscribe to the print mag, and we can remind you how to do that. And uh, we will be back in touch.
1: Uh, and let us know, you know, which of your family members disappointed you most this time of year, totally. and we'll we'll
0: scold them on the air. Oh yeah, because totally. that's oh, I a like function that. we should play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're totally happy to that um speaking of new subscribers we'd like to welcome some um this week the law firm is the law firm of stephanie perlmutter erica stein jennifer wampler let's let's linger with wampler Jessica Corman cherney Satchel Kornfeld, <laughs> whose name we'll come back to, Satchel Kornfeld. Put a pin in that one. Rachel Pergamete, Hannah Pressman, Jeff Kremlowski, Debbie Gallant, mother of our editor Noah Levinson. Kristen Schulman, Hannah Lonkey, Jay Snyder, Sarah Guidry, Mark Seidenfeld of Scholastic and Harry Potter. Geneviève with the accent aigu. Uh, no, Grave. Which one's the... Go on. Anyway. Write a book about it. Genevieve Behrens, Yael Weiner, Sam Purdy on Honeymoon in Italy, Noah Stoffman, Paula Simon, and Karen Winograd. Okay. Satchel Kornfeld.
2: I love that name so much.
0: Who is our new subscriber, Satchel Kornfeld? So the
2: thing is, he could be like a five-year-old in Park Slope. Totally. I hadn't even thought that. That's what my first thought was. No. But he's like actually something much
1: better. Satchel Kornfeld is a Jewish day
0: school equivalent of Holden Coalfield.
2: It does sound similar.
0: His father, Satchel's father, Morty Kornfeld, is a lifelong fan of the Negro Leagues in baseball. And basically he he hoped that someday he would have a son. His first two it marriages would be a
1: black baseball yes, player. Yes.
0: His first two marriages failed. He married super, super hot Gentile women. And they, they it was it was all about the lust. It was ve- and and they lasted six months and then a year. The third was a wonderful Jewess from the Bronx. Who um, knew how to love him. They married late in life, were only able to have one baby, and he prayed that it would be a son so that he could name the boy after Satchel Page. Satchel Page Cornfest. I like that see, story. see you've
2: thought a lot about this. Yeah, I
0: have. It's like I fan have. fiction. Yeah,
2: yeah. With lusty Gentile women. <laughs>
0: for, for, for actual fans of, of this
1: show. <laughs>
2: Well, well, they were fans until we did this. So get the newsletter and maybe and, and, have us. And, and,
1: and, and let me now read the second list of subscribers we've lost this week. <laughs> the name is Satchel Cornfeld.
2: It's like the in memoriam. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just play sad Goodbye.
1: music. Hello. Goodbye, Satchel Cornfeld.
0: If you want us to maybe riff on your name or a friend's, sign them up for the newsletter too. <laughs> send an email. Uh, right. Because Satchel never had anyone
1: make fun of his name growing right, up. That's just ever. what he needs.
0: We're the first people. I actually Googled Satchel and he's he's in the IDF right now. So is cool. he really? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Satchel. Yeah. Mama. Koi. Yeah. Mama. A uh, little news of the Jews. A Kickstarter campaign has raised over $13,000 for a Jewish Magic Wisdom Ball, which is a Jewish-themed take on the Magic 8-Ball thing, which has proliferated. There's like the the Indian Magic 8-Ball and the Black Magic 8-Ball and whatever. So sample answers when you shake the Jewish Magic Wisdom Ball, and this is from their Kickstarter site, include, so now you need my help? Better you shouldn't ask. And of course, feh. Do we have anything to suggest? I just
2: don't need anyone else giving me answers to things. And
1: at some point, uh, on a related note, at some point in, in the history of our people, would we ever transcend these stupid, fucking Kitch. tired, kitsch cliches? Or are we going to be in like, oi, territory till the end of time? Till like, the what end of time. More, and this is a serious question. What more will it take for us to stop doing this shit?
0: This this Jew face, if you will, like right? this cultural Jew face. To just be like, okay, we get it. Don't all cultures funny. Don't all cultures have a segment of their people who Whose thing is the Jew face, the black really? face? I mean, do you really think like there a are stick. Irish
1: people going around today being like, oh, well, Patty is I'll, so drunk. You,
0: like, you I am I hear that point. I mean, I'll tell you, like, I know people from – I know Lutherans from the Midwest who loathe Garrison Keillor because he's basically doing Lutheran face. Like, Yeah, but Lutheran face
1: is like new. We didn't have Lutheran face, and now we have a Lutheran face, and it's funny for a spot. Oh, there, yeah, right? Garrison Keillor was so funny. Oh, he's so hilarious. He's like,
2: hilarious. I mean, we'll have to ask Aviva Zornberg whether, like, there's that, like, a jokester, a jokester. Yeah. You know, in biblical time. Like, wasn't that God? Never get-
1: <laughs> no, it was like, hey, no, guys, no, no. guys, check, check this out.
2: Flood. No, but there was someone, like, offering, like, kitsch on the road, on the roadside.
0: Most important of all, Politico reports that the Kushners, the first daughter and son in law, Jared the and Ivanka, Jews. the first Jews, they are the first, that's what they are, the first Jews. They are in sy- every sense of the word. They are synagogue shopping in the D.C. area. And just in like fact, the, the actual first Jews, Adam and Eve, they're
1: now being deported from a place that's all heaven into some hellish landscape called Washington, Called Washington, D.C.
0: Um, on Facebook, uh, my friend Shmuel Hertzfeld of the of Ohev Shalom, which is a modern Orthodox synagogue in Washington, he took to Facebook to deny rumors that the Kushners had inquired about membership at his shul, or merely to say, like, we, I have not commented to anyone. Any comments you've seen that I've commented are not, True, um, Politico thinks that they may likely end up at Kesher Israel, the Georgetown Synagogue's former certainty, no former shul of, of course, Peeping Tom Mikvah Rabbi Barry Freundel. Um, this is just a plea for all of our DC listeners to send us what you know.
2: I like that everyone's playing like shul hot potato. Like yeah. no one really wants them. No one really. But wants you kind them. of want them, right? Because it brings attention to your. I don't know. Does it? Do my you?
0: Only, my only comment is if i had billions of dollars i'd be the funkiest most eccentric like i would be in the sort of coolest outsidery hover minion like I, why are they so boring like if you have bill isn't billions of dollars you're licensed to be freaky two deaky? Co- different
2: questions why are they so boring because they are the the world's least interesting people and they're just like, both of them copies independently of
1: raised by absolute psychopaths with criminal tendencies and they get they
2: found each other. And, and they, they found love. It's beautiful. I Not think, all hope I mean, is we'll, lost. We'll see where they go. But look, I feel like it lay, adds a layer of inconvenience to your like Saturday morning worship when there's like, I don't know, secret service. Secret service.
1: When I left at and- that show, there's a service and then there's a yeah. secret service.
2: <laughs> uh, and then at Christmas, there's a secret Santa service. I- Guys, sorry, what were we doing? What are we doing here? We will bring this act to
0: Temple Israel in West Palm Beach, Florida, on February 10th. That's our next live show. And then after that, we have a super secret live show, not a secret service, but a super secret live show, Uh, which we'll be announcing soon. And then after that, we'll have the live show you're about to book us for when you email Alyssa Goldstein, egoldstein at tabletmag.com. Our Jew of the Week is renowned biblical scholar Aviva Gottlieb Zornberg. She is the author of the new book, Moses, A Human Life, a short biography that has just been published in the Yale Jewish Lives series, which is sponsoring this segment. Uh, Aviva has also written books on Genesis, Exodus, and Numbers. She is Scottish, but she moved to Israel in 1969, where she's become a very, very prominent teacher, except for all the times when she's in America being a prominent teacher. Uh, She's a terrific scholar in residence and um, a real leading light of of Torah study uh, in the world today. Before I go any further, I should just say that in my experience, um, Scottish Jews are the best Jews. Why is that? <laughs> what makes you guys so f- – I've met, I've met about half a dozen Scottish Jews in my life, and they're all charming and winsome and funny and knowledgeable. And like it must be – I don't know. It, it's a, it must be a great vibe in Glasgow and Edinburgh.
3: <laughs> or it's those who get away from Glasgow, perhaps.
0: <laughs> it's, 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 it's true, I've never met them in Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, you've written this short biography of, of Moses, and um, okay, here's my first question. Do you think he really existed?
3: Well, I don't have a you know, an unequivocal answer to that. All I know is that we have this text, which has had a profound effect on generations of, of readers, and we have this mysterious personality of the person who is set up as the intermediary, uh, the the one who brought this text down to the world. Um, And so I take it as uh, an event of its own. The book is is an event of its own. And I try to understand what the reality, the historical reality, the reality of the the reception of the text um, has brought us to now. Um, So for me, he's a very existing character. Um, in terms of my faith and my, my religious approach. Uh, I certainly believe that he existed, but I can understand that there are different preconceptions, there are different ways of of uh, situating the text. Um, for me, he exists, yes.
2: What's the main misconception people have about Moses, and sort of who who is the Moses uh, Readers Discover um, through your book?
3: Well, um, I really don't think in such critical terms of, other people's misconceptions um, I know what I'm drawn to to go closer to what I'm drawn to try to explore and that's what I've tried to do in this book um, I've tried to find a human Moses Moses is as complex uh, and as rewarding to those who would like to explore um, as any character in literature uh, in that sense he's a highly literary character Um, one of the things that I think makes him so fascinating as a a kind of endless subject of discovery is the unknownness of him, that in fact is not easy to sum him up. Let me ask you a question.
1: I'm I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. Um, Speaking of the unknownness of him, there's something that that kind of always struck me, which which I know you touch on too. It's the fact that in a weird way, the arc of his life was sort of very non-traditional, right? I mean, here's a man who has divine revelations and, and, and a close relationship with God early on, and then his real project becomes learning leadership, learning how to deal with human beings. You know, That's, that's kind of the arc in reverse. Do you see that? And if so, what do you make of it?
3: Yes. I think in, on many levels, he lives his life in reverse, exactly. That he starts with a kind of removed, uh, very private identity, the fact that he can't speak, that he can't communicate with other people. Uh, makes him in some way the philosopher, the mystic, someone who finds it easier to be with God than actually to be with other people, and who moves towards some kind of solidarity, a singular kind of solidarity with these people who are only in a way formally his people. Uh, in terms of his complicated origins,
1: they're are stiff-necked, right? The 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 text says repeatedly they're not easy people. They they question mm-hmm. him, they refuse him. At some point, he has to be talked into accepting, yes. you know, kind of deputies to help him kind of gather and and, and command these unruly people. Do you do you mm-hmm. think he, he has any patience for them? Do you think at some point he just says, you know, screw it, I'm just going to go into the wilderness, and these people could find their own way?
4: Mm-hmm.
3: I think his first reaction would have been more like that, when God has to say to him, Lech get on down from the top of the mountain and go back and join your people. And in that, uh, again, the, the the Midrash hears in that Moses' reluctance to go back down to the earthly world, the social world, and his uh, his bliss there at the top of the mountain. And I think the, the trajectory of Moses is the the, the increasing recognition that he has to find a way of communicating with his people. Um, and I think it's, a, it's an education for him as well as for them.
2: Uh, speaking of communicating with his people, um, Moses had a speech impediment, um, yes. which is something we sort of hear in the story. What, what significance did that have on, on sort of the trajectory of his life?
3: Oh, I think extreme significance, yes. I take that very seriously because he keeps referring to it at the beginning of, at the, beginning of, the, of the story in his youth. It's obviously the thing that defines him in his own mind. Um, and I think it gives us to understand that he is in some way so singular that communication it feels to him fruitless. There is no, there's no point in trying to communicate. He has some kind of, you know, the, the image of the uncircumcised lips, the lips that are somehow closed by some kind of excess. Um, and in terms of, there are many traditions on this, um, but I take this more or less, as you find it in the mystical traditions uh, in Kabbalah, as a, a reference to his uniqueness, to his specialness, um, and to the need that he has to make an opening out of which language can emerge. In order to to reach and affect his people,
1: and so as 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 a communicator to people, what and and pardon you know the 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 gimmickness of this question, what leadership lessons do you think Moses imparts to to politicians today? What what can we, in in such dire need of political leadership in this country, uh, take from Moses as a leader of men and women?
3: I think the problem is that Moses is so far over to the other end of the spectrum. Uh, from the general situation of political leaders today that it 's hard to, to make a direct um, to see a direct line but he has sometimes.
1: to learn how to do this right I mean he has he to... has
3: to learn how to do it, they know how to do it, but they, they what they have to communicate is uh, <laughs> rather deficient. Uh, he has a lot to say, and that 's why he stammers. he has too much to say that 's worth hearing
1: Moses would not have liked Twitter.
3: <laughs> was it? Um, I really like that. Yes,
0: Professor. Was it? Dif- he,
3: he has to learn in some way to to lighten up, <laughs> to to open up his lips, and to make to to allow lucidity and and uh, some kind of flow to happen.
0: Two final questions. First of all, how can we save our country from Donald Trump? Oh dear!
3: <laughs> if I could tell you, I would be Moses. <laughs>
0: All <laughs> right. and do you have a favorite—you you, you say that you worked—you had to work from, from Midrash a lot because, yes. you know, we don't have biographical sources outside of, outside mm-hmm. of the Torahs, you know, written and oral. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite yeah. Midrash on, on the life of Moses?
3: One single Midrashic passage? Yeah.
0: A favorite story? Ah.
3: Oh. Uh, yes, actually, it's one that I write about. Um, the one about the women in the mirrors. How women and men were separated in the, in the constrictions of Egypt and the exile of Egypt. And they were brought together by women holding up, each woman holding up a mirror in front of the couple and entering into some kind of beauty boasting game. It's a strange, it's really a bizarre midrash, which speaks in the end of the ability to imagine, the the, the beauty to fantasize beauty. and beauty and love and make them happen that in some way redemption happens from the imagination from the possibilities of the future so mirrors i think uh, are a very important image in that midrash and and effectively elsewhere too.
0: I think we'll send out a link to uh, to that midrash in our in our yes. newsletter. People should people should read it. Uh, thank yeah. you for joining us. You're the author of Moses: A Human Life, which was just published in the Yale Jewish Lives series, which uh, uh, has been a wonderful sponsor for for Tablet and Unorthodox. And thank you for joining us uh, from Israel.
3: Thank you. Thank you all.
5: Now in
0: our Gentile my of the Week go. this week is John McWhorter, who teaches
4: English and comparative literature at Columbia University. No, he doesn't. No, <laughs> no you don't anymore? Let's do it again. I'm in that department but it's a meaningless title. What okay. I really what I teach is you do? linguistics and philosophy and music history. That's what I teach. Okay. Because people are going to think that I teach James Joyce and then it okay. looks like I'm pretentious. Linguistics. So. Let's, let's leave it like this. Or just Teaches say linguistics. actually perfect. Yeah. yeah okay. You want to yeah. keep that in? Yeah. Yes. We're not okay, even going to retake this. Okay. That's our, cute.
0: We let our listeners behind the scenes. No, that's all right. fine. But I, th- he's, a, he's a commentator on um, all sorts of things, politics, race, uh, language. And I first encountered your work, John, when I was probably 24 years old and I read Losing the race which came out in I remember that 2000 book. that so. was in 2000. And I just remember it was a book about racial politics and I just remember thinking that it wasn't left wing it wasn't right wing it was just sane. <laughs> and I just thought, "Oh, here's someone who's talking with clarity and and also someone who seems unafraid whom he's going to piss off."
4: That was pretty much true.
0: And yeah. that seems to be an
4: increasingly
0: rare quality. I teach at Yale and I love my students, they're wonderful kids, but A lot of them, especially the activist kids, seemed hyper attuned to whom are they going to anger and how do you not anger them? And how do you say things in such a way that you won't lose any friends? Right. And that doesn't seem to have ever been a concern
4: of yours. Um, No, not, not necessarily. I don't. I don't write my books and my essays thinking this is really going to annoy people, but I don't care. I'm not that strong. Usually my trajectory is something makes perfect sense to me, and then I find out that it doesn't to other people, and I have this compulsion to make my case. But the idea of being somebody who's regularly a punching bag, I've learned not to mind. But back in 2000, with losing the race, what I genuinely thought, And nobody has ever believed this, but it's true. I figured, who would care what some unknown linguist thinks about race? I was asked to write the book. The humble truth is that I write very quickly, so it wasn't hard. And I figured, I'm going to have this out there because every now and then some young black kid will read this and see that you can think this way and not be crazy. I figured it would make me a few enemies in Oakland for a little while, which had already happened because I had said that black English was not why black kids do badly in school, and that had created a little kerfuffle. And I figured that'd be it. I figured beyond the Bay Area, nobody will ever care about this. And I was ready to move on. But then the moment was such that that book became an unexpected minor hit. And I had to develop this new way of going through life. But I'm often called a controversialist, but that's not what it is. I generally think, isn't this clear? Then it turns out it isn't. And then I want people to understand, well, this is what I think. So you're, that's that's my general goal. You're often also called a black conservative, which is not how you identify yourself. No. Right? You call yourself a cranky liberal. Oh, I am. It's absolutely a tragedy that on race, the critical mass of thought has moved so far to the left that if you have views like mine... You're Clarence Thomas Jr. And it's assumed that if you think like me, then you don't think that a woman should have an abortion. You're in favor of business over the little man and all of these things. I had no idea that was how people were going to think of me in 2000. And inevitably, there will be people now, still, I make lists occasionally of smart black Republicans. It's just assumed (laughs) that if you have anything to say about affirmative action other than hallelujah, you must be a Republican. But actually, since I made it clear that I was a huge Obama fan, there seems to have developed a critical mass of people who understand that I'm not a Republican. I'm just strange. And I'll own strange. Republican, though, is has always been a – I m- hope
1: you have a bumper sticker that says that. Not so I'm going to make one today. Strange.
0: I, that actually gets to a thought that I've had a lot, which is there seem we seem to have lost eccentricity that, that – one of the things that happens when society gets very, very polarized and everyone has to be like Mr. Socialist or Mrs., <laughs> you know, reactionary is please
2: Ms. Reactionary. Ms. Reactionary. Yeah. No,
0: well the reactionaries want Mrs. actually. So I've tried Ms. and they're they say Don't title me. So is that there's no there's just much less space for the
4: weirdos, the people who just don't fit in the boxes. Well, I don't know. I think that Today, the people who are on the hard left think of themselves as the weirdos, but they tend to forget that they are all rather similar to one another. They don't understand that there's an orthodoxy that they're subscribing to. So I don't think people are aware that there's no room for the weirdos. There's a sense that you can be weird if you are on the hard left. But if you have any other kind of view, you're not diverse, you're not weird, you're just wrong. What scares me is that there is a whole group of people, and this group has always existed, but it's much stronger on college campuses today, who think that there's something that's correct. There are certain views that are correct in an Aristotelian way, there's no question, and our job is to educate everyone else. That new catchphrase, it's not my job to educate you, as if there's no question as to what one's views are. That's a tough one because there are many people who are thinking that's what it is to be educated rather than to understand that things are complex. And there has always been that contingent. I went to college in the early 80s. There were those people. There are more of them now in college. And it's not crazy radical professors. I don't think professors have anything to do with it. There have never been that many crazy radical professors. It's a movement on campuses, which I think was sparked by Black Lives Matter, whose basic mission I think is a wonderful thing. But I think social media magnifies this. So we're in a really tough spot. And often it seems that 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 mission of that contingent that you describe in a weird way, I don't want to say
1: revolves around language, but but has a really interesting you know, relationship with language and I think almost this this elect, electoral season almost called for a linguist to make sense of it. Right? There's so many terms we're kind of uh, uh toying around with alt right. Mm-hmm. Uh even things say, well, did Donald Trump dissemble ninety nine point nine percent of the time? Did mm-hmm. he straight out lie? Uh what were some of the terms that, that you're hearing now that
4: just completely get your goat? Well, um, I don't know if they get my goat. I find them...
2: Speaking of terms that are... Yeah, get, <laughs> that poor, this, that this, poor goat
4: has been no, <laughs> scapegoated all the time. The um, problem nowadays is that any linguist knows that there's always a slip between what a term seems to mean and the way it's actually used. And there's an awful lot of slippage these days. And so, for example, safe space this idea that you need a safe space from people who are noxious to you. I don't think that most people understand. I don't think people who say it understand, and I don't think people who are annoyed by it understand that it's a term of irony. It's a very rich term. No person who's intelligent enough and strong enough to have wound up at Yale, for example, is so weak of constitution that they can't stand to be around somebody who voted for Donald Trump or who uses a word in slightly the wrong way in reference to black people. That simply doesn't make any kind of coherent sense. When somebody says they need a safe space, what they're saying is that they need a safe space in quotation marks. It's a little performance to indicate that you understand that something is wrong, to make it clear to people in a way that you think will really register to them that there's something wrong. I don't mean they don't mean it. I mean, there's a performative aspect to the way human beings communicate that overlaps hugely with what we call irony. Somebody in a suit who looks on these people and says, why are you being so weak, doesn't understand that they don't mean it straight. Somebody who says it and has tears rolling down their cheeks doesn't realize that they couldn't really mean that they need to be safe from something someone's saying. That's a tough term. Because of course, right now, the person in the suit is saying that I don't understand what kids are like today as opposed to the way they were before. The kid who's got the tears rolling down their cheeks is angry at me for saying that they're just putting it on. However, I think I'm right on both <laughs> counts. And it's a tough one because how do you talk about this? And the answer is that Often you don't. And that's also true of all sorts of other terms, such as using white supremacist when what you really mean is that somebody is being racist. It's how we use the term racist at all. It's how we use the term black body. It's the idea that alt-right, like you can feel this coming, it's going to become incorrect to use the term alt-right because we're supposed to say white supremacist, even though we all know what alt-right is. So means. help
1: us help us make sense
4: of this. Very complicated. So Richard Spencer is a <laughs> I would say Richard Spencer is an outright white supremacist. That's what he is. And he's on something called the alt-right. And the alt-right are people who are white supremacists. It's it's at the point where nobody doesn't know that who we should care doesn't know. But the idea is going to be don't say alt-right because then you're not outing him as a white supremacist. Well, that's a performance, as far as I'm concerned, but now we're getting sucked into it and so, from what you're saying, it seems like we're living through this
1: amazing moment in which we're all performing, and yet for some reason are refusing to acknowledge
0: that the performance is going on a lot of it because we don't know that we're performing well, and I'm that was part mutant. of and that was part of the oh wait, I want to hear how you're not immune you're about to oh. self self lacerate I
4: am an extremely <laughs> ironic person when i talk i'm I'm Obnoxiously sarcastic. There are times when I would have to work to exactly mean everything I say in a conversation. I like arrested development. I have been, you know, suckled on that kind of humor. I use rhetoric when I have to, if I'm trying to work an audience. Maybe I think about it a little more because I happen to be a linguist. But yeah, the way we talk nowadays is layered. In a way that language always is, but it's been heightened. And boy, does social media push it. And these memes, not memes circa 2000, but memes as in the pretty little pictures. The way we're beginning to think in those terms. It's really changing thought. You can hear that there's a book I'm going to write in 15 years. I don't have it in my head yet. But something really seismic is going on to the point that I think it's easy not to realize what world we're in language-wise.
2: I was going to ask you what you think about the whole like situation.
0: Mm. I be, okay, I'm going to predict. As he's a, okay you know, as that. a, mm, mm. I'm going to predict. I think most linguists say it's sort of like the British quite, or rather, where it's just it's a verbal hesitation or the French. Uh, I think it's cute.
2: I've, it's I've, a verbal hesitation
4: that doesn't bother you, as my guest, not remotely. Especially because Stephanie, I didn't mean to interrupt. What were you going to say?
2: I like forgot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, think, I have like, a
1: funny story that that you know I will share here. Uh, I was travel I-, I had worked in 2008 uh worked uh for uh for the Barack Obama campaign for some months uh and then right after the the election i went to china to report in this book i was writing then uh and the the chinese have this verbal hesitation affectation uh nigger. in, in manner it's nigger yeah uh, Which and is I'm awkward to hear. Nega, listening like N E G A. And I'm listening. I'm G E. I'm, to notice, I'm yeah. listening to the radio. Uh, <laughs> the radios on it. i the days, like <laughs> Obama <laughs> nega, nega, Obama nega. I was like, Oh my god, you people are the
4: worst. And then someone explained oh to me. I was god. like, Oh, okay, that's made up. It kind of means that yeah. is that is yeah. that is right. Yeah. yeah, like is a beautiful thing. It's very subtle. If you take somebody walking down the street in 2017 and 16? When is this going to?
2: Is it ever over? Is I don't know. It's 2016 forever. Yeah.
4: Okay. So yeah. Oh, because this year, 2016. Time has slowed so down. Somebody's walking around in this year of 2016 and they're using like every five words, which is really the way it can be. It means about four different things. All of it is grammar if you listen to it. And I listen to it as a beautiful new development Casually. However, because it's always going to sound hesitational no matter what we do, I do tell people if you want to be taken seriously in a situation, you have to hold off on the likes. So it's fine. I tell students, use it in my office. Use it in class. But if you're going to be making a formal presentation, if you're in the media and you want to make a point – whether you like it or not just like you have to wear pants you have to stop saying <laughs> like so much but one of the most interesting things is to listen to a teenager talking in 1972 if there's a recording of they sounded somebody, like grown ups right and they didn't or sound no. like grown ups but there was no like yet there were no like you're listening to this person my and mother it just once didn't exist. made that point to
0: me she's well she her argument and this might be wrong but her argument was we didn't try to have our own language when i was a kid we actually aspired to be adults and she said, "It's not that we didn't have interest. It's not that you couldn't have spotted. Oh, there's two sixteen-year-olds in their purple right. skirts talking, sucking but it's that,
4: on an ice cream soda. Right.
0: right at the at the soda fountain, you know, doing the peppermint twist. It's but it's that." It's that there was no aspiration to have a separate language. The aspiration was, if anything, to seem like a sophisticate. And so the idea... Now, I think that changed a little bit with the counterculture you had. You know, the dudes came in. Sure. There was a... There was... There'd always been beatnik talk. to it. And it moved into hippie talk. But for my mother growing up where you did in Germantown, yeah. Philadelphia, right? Yeah. It, it was... You know, in a pretty square situation, there was no aspiration to have a secret code language. There was
4: no such thing as a teenager until the 30s, for example, that that concept. Yeah, Yeah, things have changed to that extent. But yeah, I I don't disapprove of like. I just think people need to know when to stop using it, which is about 1% of the time. In general, it's just new language. Do you have predictions, since this will be our last show of 2016? Do you have predictions? Uh, First of all, what would you
1: nominate? This is a a silly affectation that I actually don't like, but what would you nominate as
4: the word of the year?
1: And what would you predict would be uh, the word that would accompany us in 2017?
4: Oh, I forgot to come up with that. Um, There are so many linguists and amateur linguists and lexicographers at this point coming up with these words of the year that I must admit, I now don't bother to think of it myself Because I know that all the clever people like Ben Zimmer and- Yeah, you got books to write. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have to to make lists. They always, I always think, oh, that's true. That was the word of the year. But I don't tend to think it up myself. But if I had to think of a word this year that I think is really interesting, it's normalize. The way we're using Mm. the word normalize now, as opposed to the way I would have thought of it. A year ago, this idea that you don't want to discuss something because that would normalize it. That's an interesting it concept, is. and that starts with, with um, Mr. Trump. And I imagine that that meaning is going to stick. Um, that's interesting that's because a negative cast that of did not mean that a year ago right. to me and maybe not to any of you. It just meant to make something normal. Now there's this new connotation.
0: You had a fabulous question for us. We always invite our gentiles of the week to come in for uh, because this may be your you're made an exposure to a panel of of certified I didn't think Jewish this was experts. Make it in. Yeah. And uh you actually pre-submitted a a question. I really want to know the answer. And it's a that. fabulous question. What I have was, an answer. I have What was have, Yeah, what was your By question? By the way, for us?
4: empirically researched answer. Yeah. What was your <laughs> this question? Is a question? John McWhorter what was your question for us? I swear I wanted to know. My wife is Jewish for the record, and so I actually She's a Jewess. I would she say. She is a Jewess. I would say. sure that's, that's how
0: you I, I would not say that. That's controversial around the office, but I would call her a Jew, as I would call my wife, a Jewess. All right. She is a good Jewess. All right. And so
4: I've had a thorough immersion in, in Jewessness over the past 15 <laughs> years. But we, um, we've um we always disagreed on this. I always say, I don't know if I'm allowed to, the Frumie sort it's of It's a safe person, space here. Yeah, <laughs> it's a, a totally safe space. Safe, is totally fine. <laughs> the Frummi woman, usually if she's wearing a scheidel, I've always thought that person seems to like wearing a striped top and so for me it's just kind of the stereotype for me on the street there's the stripes and my wife says that, that they do not wear stripes i don't know what you're talking about do they wear stripes do they wear okay
1: stripes? mrs, mrs. mccorder if i may uh i, I just got quarter to you i just got sexist. back from uh from an El Al flight from tel aviv like literally an hour yeah. and a half ago stripes i have been stripes. i have been immersed in in chayas <laughs> and leahs and rivkas uh the stripe thing is Absolutely true. I knew it. A thousand Rivka percent true. Wear stripes. Rivkas wear stripes. That's right.
2: I think it's true because well, I think there is definitely there's like very visible trends among. Right. You'll see a, probably a group of women wearing t- together, and you'll. It took me a while to to recognize shaydles. I just like it didn't. I didn't that's know.
0: That's a wig. That's a wig for those who don't know. American, I didn't realize. I, I didn't grow up wigs.
2: around them, so I didn't. I didn't notice them. But then you'll notice like oh, there are a few women wearing like pretty similar shoes, pretty similar skirts. And then the like I I there are very, very distinct clothing patterns. Um and I think Random our producer fashions, I guess. Yes, and our producer, um, Shira Tolushkin says, I am totally with you. The striped tops are very Haredi housewife. But I also think Daughter that, they Daughter of a rabbi, yes. by the way,
0: there you have Daughter it. Daughter
4: of a rabbi on the upper west side. I knew this. <laughs> I cannot wait to tell so quote right. unquote Mrs. Yeah. McWater tonight.
0: Wow. Now I have an additional comment. I defer to all of them on the s- horizontal stripes. What I've noticed is that modern Orthodox women, especially if they lean to the right, if they're if they're more haredish, yeah, they like long tops with faux leather pleather patches of fabric on them. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? I know what you're talking about. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. This like like on the sleeve. What's the shape of the patch? It's not an elbow patch. It's like it's the
1: shape of Judean Samaria. <laughs> <laughs> The whole land of Israel. <laughs> the land of that's
2: from,
0: just... <laughs> from the river to the sea, baby. And that's the so, fashion. Yeah. That's like part of the style. Yeah, there's, there's like there's... pleather. There's like
2: like top half of it so, right
0: down to the aureola will I'm be gonna... pleather.
2: I want to say oh, –
0: Below that. that will be wool.
2: I want to say that Even the, on a hot what day. I think Even on a hot is, day is, you know, if you're a woman and that's – you're covering your hair and you have to dress a certain way, there are only there's only so much you can do to sort of stylize that. And so I think stripes are a great example of like, oh, you can have a little – like, you know – you're, you're sort of are wearing a uniform in a lot of ways and so I think pleather patches too are like a way to, to I, you know individualize what, what but you're but they wearing.
0: have to go punk they should start like Doing safety pin patches and lots of, you know. I'm going
2: to look for these patches. Mid-80s
0: hard rock band iron-on patches. I mean, they could they could do more with it. That just might happen, uh, he said. <laughs> orthodox
1: women, if you're listening. If you're listening, and we know you are,
0: <laughs> secretly, we won't tell Dove, your husband, that you listen to us. <laughs> Write to us on orthodox at tabletmag.com. John McWhorter, the new book is Words on the Move, but the newer book coming out imminently That's in right. time for late holiday gifts. if That's you right. Them, is Stocking is stuffer. Talking back, talking black. That's right. In one sentence, what's the argument? Of that
4: book. That black English is not incoherent, and here's why. And I'm not going to tell you that if you don't get it, you're a racist. Oh. That's what it so is. So, something
0: for the left and something for the right. That's oddly
4: enough, that <laughs> is what that book is going to be. Thank you for being our Gentile of the Week. Thank you for having me. It's Been an great. honor. We'll have you back.
0: <laughs>
5: it's only worse and words are all I have to take your heart away.
3: Talk in everlasting words
0: Hey, everyone. Last year when we were in Washington, D.C. doing our live show at the Jewish Community Center of Washington, which was awesome, uh, our Jubador, Jim nabel that's Nabel with a K, Jim knabel came up with an amazing song that was, uh, as it happened, sort of Hanukkah-themed. He wrote it on the spot. He took suggestions from the audience and put them all together and came up with this. And we thought that tis the season to play it all again for you. Here's Jim Nabel.
5: He rode into town on a brass and bronze menorah. He looked around to find a six point star. He thought he heard the sound of a distant horror. It turned out just to be a whiskey bar. Well, he walked in and said, Give me a man of The barkeep said, We just serve whiskey here. He sat down with some ladies for the kibitz, but those hookers looked him up and down with fear. He's a troubadour out into the country, looking for a place to hang his kippah without fear. But everywhere that he explores is wanting. No one seems to want the jubador here no one seems to want the jubador here well he met a girl her name was buxom mabel he said dear can you speak hebrew too she said what is hebrew he said here's my tradele She said thanks, but I just coochie-coo He's a jubador Riding through the country Looking for a place to hang his kippo without fear But everywhere that he explores is wanting No one seems to want a jubador here no one seems to want the jubador
0: here. If you want more of Jim's amazing music, go to jimnable.com. That's j i m k n a b l e.com. His band is the Randy Bandits. He's also an amazing playwright. You have to check him out. jimnable.com. The jubador. A little mail this week as every week. It's not a little. We're getting more mail all the time, and we love it. Write to us at unorthodox at tabletmag.com. Sam Friedman wrote about my daughter Ellie's getting her ears pierced at Piercing Pagoda and my reluctance to buy my wife jewelry at Jared and said, in fact, the joke's on me. Piercing Pagoda was owned by Zales Corporation, he writes, which was bought out by Sterling Jewelers, which owns Are You Ready? K Jewelers, Jared, Marks and Morgan, JB Robinson, Beldons, Leroy's Osterman, Rogers, Shaws, Goodman, and Weissfield. They're huge. Sam Friedman. So
2: does that mean that there's like, you're buying from the same company no yeah. matter which of these yeah. crappy de- jewelry stores you so go I, to?
0: I bought my daughter her first earrings from Jared. Every kiss so begins with Jared. Yeah. I Jared. went to Piercing Pagoda, but I did go to Jared. Dear Unorthodox another letter writer writes, I write to give you up-to-date man on the scene reporting about Amari Jr.'s baseball career. After seeing the new boy at my son's baseball practice last week, I can confirm that he is indeed playing baseball here in the Holy City, and God willing, he'll be playing for the Jays one day. I might buy him a hat just to give him a nudge. Shalom from Jerusalem, Noah Stoffman.
2: That's amazing. So good to
0: hear. <sighs> someone Thank ca- you, someone call page six. We love the man on the street report. Send Exciting. us more of this. If you, and, and no, if you spot the Kushners in an Orthodox synagogue in Washington, drop us a line. Dear Unorthodox Seam, I like this. It's proliferating. Thank you for having a rabbi on the show. It was fresh. But why are you so scared of being too Jewy on your show, masquerading around our practices? Liel, maybe you can share some of what you're learning once a month for 30 seconds. The spark is there. You guys are the flint. So I challenge you to sneak in more real concrete Jewiness on your show. Sorry for challenging you. Not one to butt in. But I just find it's impossible to gather people together, let alone the audience you have. And you have such a tremendous opportunity and an obligation to your listeners to give them some hazachah, Chazaka, some strength? Is that what that is? Sadaka. Chazaka, in wherever they may be. Sorry for the guilt. Shabbat Shalom. Gilad in Montreal. The first letter we've ever had accusing us of not being sufficiently Jewish. I
2: know, because it's like, I feel like we're too Jewish in this podcast. We should
0: say we're having this conversation on the day we just
1: finished recording a Christmas, Christmas episode. episode. So Gilad, you know what? Challenge accepted. Um, I think we will find ways to make I understand show what he's saying. Even he, wants a, he wants a little more learning. In
0: 2017, 15% Jewier. <laughs> That's my New Year's resolution. All right. Here's a really good one. Dear Unorthodox team, we're a team now. Have I noticed that there's less profanity in the last few episodes? Even though I'm an ex-Aussie, albeit living in Israel and swearing is my second nature, in my opinion, the use of the F word, mostly by Liel, is used too often, especially if you're with your kids in the car listening to your podcast. We Aussies are much more comfortable with bloody hell and sh. Asterisk, asterisk, which we don't really consider to be offensive. Ask your Aussie staff. Oh, we will. On a more serious note, my advice to Stephanie regarding her upcoming wedding is to sign a prenup. Being chairperson of the Israeli NGO Mavo'i Satum, whose main task is trying to expedite the get process for individual women in the divorce process, a prenup is the most effective means to avoid agunut and get refusal. Keep up the good work. Michal Waller. Are you guys doing um, a... uh, you know they are now they're doing a prenup now, and Mark, <laughs> the, the, you and I are
1: going to write it. We're going to negotiate the, pre- the terms. Yeah. Here's the thing: who, the, who listeners, gets the, cat? the listeners should negotiate the terms. I listeners. want
2: if, if something happens, if he leaves me, he has to take the cat with him <laughs> <laughs> <It's a much laughs> to have a reminder of me in his flesh oh every Seriously, day. If
1: you listen to the show, write to us and
0: tell us what should be the
2: terms, terms and conditions of
1: Stephanie's
0: oh prenup agreement. God, all right. Uh, we had a request for advice. Um, from a woman in Kansas. Good morning, Mark, Lyle, and Stephanie in the New World Order. I'm your garden variety New York liberal who, through some confusion and chance, is living in deep Kansas for the next couple of years. When looking for roommates, I thought I did a good job of weeding out the Confederate flags, waspy sorority betches, and Bible thumbers. Unfortunately, the day after the election, I found out that one of the girls I live with voted for Drumpf. It is not in our nature as a people to politely and quietly leave topics of tension at the door. To you, the three wise men she means people, of modern American Jewry, I asked, what's the way to move forward with someone with eight months of the lease left whose values are, to put it mildly, fucking insane, crossed out, do not share? Peace, love, and baked goods, name withheld, Dodds Lab, Manhattan, Kansas, USA. How should she deal with her Trump voting roommate on the same lease?
2: Well, first of all, I should identify myself as a Jewish sorority bitch. (laughs) No, no, not... not in a Jewish sorority, like just but a Jewish comma.
0: A sorority. A sorority
2: betch who of the Jewish persuasion. A who happens to be Jewish. Who happens to be Jewish. Right. Who, who knows people who are Jewish. I'm right. a
0: sorority
1: batch first and then a Jewess. <laughs> I'm a fencer
2: first, a sorority batch second, and a Hillel's avoider at a, at a third. a cat owner above all. So I think if we've learned anything from our guest today, um, it's that we can't fault someone for voting for Trump. Like we have to get past that. And I think you're totally right – to the day after the election, cringe and not want to live with someone. But like, we can't, you can't like decide that they're racist and decide that she's a white supremacist. I think we just, you just, it sucks. It nah. sucks. But you, yeah, no, no, because you're, you you it. don't need, you don't need a safe space in your apartment, right? Isn't that what he was saying? Like, you have to, we have to learn to live with people who All right, so John McWhorter's giving her advice. But,
1: but, but, here's the deal. Uh, your apartment should work exactly the same way the United States of America works. Your part, uh, should be the awesome part where there's like culture, Cult- culture. and intelligent conversation and like good health care and food that's actually delicious her part of the apartment should be like guy fieri land that's where you uh-huh. go if you want to fuck your cousin and eat you know stuff that's that allowed in and, that restaurant diesel like if you
0: want that kind of experience you go to her so room. Times square all right so listen um name withheld uh Try both of those and write right back to us. Let us know how it goes and always uh, opera and and get a gun. That's uh, my advice to everyone. <laughs> sleep, on sleep with it. All right. Final and best letter. And it's the letter of the week. Hello, Mark, Lial, Stephanie and Kat Stevens, my favorite member of the podcast, to be honest, yes. represent I'm a fairly Jewy Jew. I went to day school for years, and then when I switched to public school, continued religious school on weekends through my high school graduation. I'm
2: I'm, impressed with that because most people drop out. Yeah, no, she's she's the real deal. After that bat mitzvah.
0: I'm often the token Jew of a group of friends and seem to serve as my own one-woman panel of Jewish expertise for both my Gentile boyfriend and friend group. But I have officially been stumped, and I'm curious if I managed to miss a Jewish stereotype or if my boyfriend is making shit up. Is there a stereotype about Jewish women having large breasts or is my boyfriend making this up and my friends are going along with it? Thanks in advance for your help, Canada Lutz, which okay. is an amazing name. An amazing name. Amazing name.
2: First of all, I want, I'm very curious as to like what the context in which her boyfriend brought up the stereotype totally. of Jewish. Was it like, this is weird because I always thought Jewish women had <laughs> big breasts or like, you know, it's true. I always was told that right. this, this. At this last I dated a
0: Jewish woman. And so
2: here's what I think. I'm not familiar with this specifically, but I assume it's part of this like voluptuous oversex Jewish woman stereotype, which is like a very pernicious, like long you know. and exists
0: alongside the frigid like can't get off Jewish woman yeah, stereotype. So you're like, which am I? Right. Am
2: I? Which which
0: am I? <laughs> am I the cartoon oversexed vamp or am I the frigid right, cartoon yeah, cartoon
2: <laughs> withholder? So I think I think it's part of that, but it's it's like part of that like lasciviousness that Jewish women are have been like.
0: I think it exists more among Jewish women who are busty, who feel that it's something they're a little bit sensitive about. Like I think it's one of those things like curly hair that a lot of Jewish women, if they have it, feel, oh, my God, this is – I hate it and it's part of my Judaism and I hate it all as a package. I don't think that many Gentiles actually hold that stereotype. I'm intrigued that she met some – some shegets who was like a Jewish woman—they have big breasts. Like that, I don't think. I, don't, I think very <laughs> that few. That mythical Jewish, yeah, woman. mythical Jewish woman with the horns and the big breast. I, I think that's a bizarre. I don't think it's out there as a stereotype except among a lot of Jewish women. But
2: I don't grow. you buy what I'm saying? Isn't it? Don't yeah. you agree that it's part I, I of? I buy. That? I
0: buy what you say. Yeah, yeah.
2: absolutely. How much?
0: <laughs> a thousand percent. And will Venmo you markup? She yeah, she wants more than that. Uh, Canada, thank you for having the name of the week and the letter of the week.
2: I don't love the boyfriend though. No. It's oh. like a weird thing to say.
0: Um,
1: Canada, if, if I may, postscript: you may want to consider that relationship. I don't know that we support it. I think the two of you should come on the air. We're just
2: like worried about it. Yeah, you. could we get the two of you on the air? We're a
1: little bit worried about this
0: relationship. Yeah, let us do some...
2: Like what if you were like, oh, this is so crazy because like I always heard that Gentile men like have small penises. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you should have come back with, Canada. Is that a thing? That's a thing. Let's make it a thing.
0: The small thing.
2: Hey, some Mazel Tov this
0: week. Stephanie, do you have a Mazel Tov?
2: Um, I do. And it is to our main man Mari Sotomayor, who posted an Instagram of him in in uniform for uh what team at is Yama- yeah, the the less good Israeli basketball team. Is that true? Um and it says, Great win last night. We are just getting started. Hashtag stand tall and true at Jerusalem Basket. Basketball emoji, man running emoji, hashtag Jerusalem. <laughs> So yeah, good for him. Good his for son him. might not be able to play, but he sure can.
1: Fantasticia. My mazel tov is to Martin Moshe Scorsese uh, for finally, after 30 years of hard labor, getting to make uh, the movie of his dreams, Silence, and it's a movie about faith and taking it seriously. And I love that.
0: Mazel tov, Marty. Mazel tov. Um, I have a double mazel tov this week. The first is to um, the faithless electors, the people who didn't vote Donald Trump uh, in the Electoral College. Last week, uh, that's actually what they were supposed to do. This is actually not some crazy left wing plot. This is actually like in times when an insane person wins the electoral college, they're actually not supposed to vote for him. So good for them. And also to Jesse Andrews who wrote a book called The Haters that my friend Andy Boone recommended. It's kind of YA. It's in that weird genre of young adult except it's really sexually explicit. So like why would you – good stuff. So are you giving it to a 13-year-old? We have no idea whom this is intended for. It's actually intended for grown-ups who want to voyeuristically read about 19-year-olds. Give it to Ellie. I'm so not giving it to Ellie. So Jesse Andrews, uh, The Haters – it's good and and worrisome at the same time. So check it out. It's
2: like a little sneak preview into the next few years for you.
0: It totally. As your I,
2: kids get older. It
1: totally
0: is. Wait, how are you – we need to have a whole show about how are you going to the deal – The onset of puberty. Exactly. All right. With, well, let's, with your... You know what? We're going to be on the air in two, three, four years. So we'll deal with it then. Unorthodox is brought to you by Tablet Magazine. On the web at tabletmag.com. Our show is edited by Noah Levinson and produced by Alyssa Goldstein and Shira Telushkin. Rabbinic supervision by Senator John McCain for taking the Russian hackers seriously enough to call for an investigation. Culture slaughtering by Elaine Chow. On Twitter, we're at TabletMag. Also, I'm at Markop1. Liel is at Liel. And Stephanie is at stuffism. Is that how you pronounce it?
2: Yeah, stuffism. Stuffism. But also, like, follow me on Instagram. Yeah, how do you do that? At Sputnik. That's where my. That's where you see my at real soul. Butnik. No, no,
1: hold on. He's not asking. As in, how do you do that? Give us the
0: thing so people could follow. It. He's asking literally. How does that work? Does that work. Go to the
2: app store. Our music Download is Instagram.
0: Our music is by Golem, who played at Rabbi Joe Schwartz's wedding, as it happens. We record in Argo Studios, which brews amazing French press coffee. We're proud to be part of the Panoply.fm network. Shalom, friends. A little bit of extra news of of us Jews. The Guardian newspaper in England did a list of the top 50 podcasts of 2016, and they included us on the list. We were really, really excited to see that. And we just want to thank The Guardian newspaper for giving us the shout out. We are pleased to be in the company of such brilliant podcasts as Heavyweight and Love and Radio and all those other brilliant ones that they uh, that they gave the hat tip to. So um, thanks to The Guardian for naming us one of their top 50 podcasts of 2016. We hope to give England and The Guardian even more unorthodox love in the year to come.